Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hello and welcome to the Autosport Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Kalanorkas. Today we're going to be discussing the words of FIA President Jean Todd when it comes to the impact of the coronavirus pandemic on motorsport. Joining me today are Motorsport.com's F1 editor Jonathan Noble, Autosport's F1 reporter Luke Smith, and GP Racing's executive editor Stuart Codling. Now, of course, we are recording remotely again. I'm even told there's the possibility that our chats will be recorded on video sometime soon, which is fairly daunting. How are we all? Very good. Well, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing more of everyone's home decor choices on the internet, of course. Yeah, we get very judgmental in the comments, I feel. It's quite, there might quite be daunting, some that. Strategic camera placing, I think. Uh, for that, I might, I might even, I might even tidy my hair. You never know; that might be a fun. I, I want to know if that spotlight on the ceiling behind Johnny's head actually works. Oh, look! There's another one. There's two. He looks like someone with antennae now. I, I got them as well. Look. I don't. This house was built in the 1970s, so we don't have things like that. What lights. Well, we are not. We're not being filmed just yet. So uh, we'll see how we go. Well, anyway, yesterday, John, you and uh, and James Allen spoke to John Todds. Uh, he had a he had a fair bit to say about what's happening. We're all obviously rather concerned about the impact of the coronavirus pandemic. First of all, on the healthcare services immediately, and then there's a growing concern about what's going to happen in the coming weeks and months when it comes to the economy. And obviously, you know, there's there's very few sectors that are Im- immune to this that are are, are free of worry about what's going to happen in the future. Motorsport is not, of course, one of those. Uh, there's uh, big problems if if Formula One doesn't restart. The impact on teams, big or small, there could be there could be a massive impact. So, you know, how did that interview go down, and what did you make of what John Zod had to say yesterday? Yeah, there were there were two aspects or two layers to it really. First, on the human side of it, I mean, Todd's obviously very, you know, moved by the the whole crisis. Um, he's a uh, um, had his house in France um, with his son and his girlfriend. His girlfriend's um, had the virus, so you know, the, the impact to him has come quite close. Um, 
but he's also quite concerned on the, the kind of economic aspect of it all. He said he read a UN report yesterday predicting 25 million people will lose their jobs um, as a result of the crisis. And he's not blind to the fact that motor racing isn't going to escape this. Um, he's worried that teams can fold. He's worried manufacturers can walk. Uh, and he's under no illusions that, you know, when we come out the other side of this pandemic, you know, no company is going to view motor racing as a, as a necessity. I must confess I sympathize with that. I don't think that the priority number one now for a manufacturer is uh, to secure continuity in motor racing. You know, he, he will have a lot. I, I was just uh, reading a UN report today uh, on the SDG, which is planning 25 million people losing their job. I think it was interesting to hear what he was talking about. Also, the sort of that the, there might be a, a lack of interest in people wanting to go to sporting events, which um, was an interesting point. I I wonder whether the the opposite might even be true. Whether you know whether people will will think, oh, we've been lo- we've been locked in our homes for so many weeks. Things have been so tough. We've seen all these horrendous and and and, and tragic uh, images of people of people dying and, and hospitals being overwhelmed. That once we do come out the other side, people will, will embrace wanting to live life to the fullest. That's what I think we've got to hope will happen. And that includes going out to sporting events, going to see motor racing, going to football matches, whenever that's safely allowed and, and can be done done properly again. Uh, hopefully that's that's the way it goes, rather than people thinking, well, we can't we can't think about doing that. It's fear, isn't it? That He, he pointed out that pe- people have recalibrated their brains. Like he, he was saying that he wanted to speak to his neighbour and his neighbour was saying, should, be, should you be wearing a mask for this? It's, it's kind of injected a... A, a bit of wariness even between people who've presumably lived next door to one another for years and i think the other other difficulty is it's hard to predict you know where how we're all going to feel in a month's time in six weeks time in two months time as the you know the peaks of the virus come and the death rates go up it's going to be a different world for everybody and you know even from the, from the promoter side six months ago every promoter would have you know done everything they could to hold their race but are they going to feel comfortable you know holding a grand prix holding a celebration holding something, you know, it's supposed to be a happy event, you know, if they're surrounded by, you know, a, a population in crisis. It could be a cultural thing as well, couldn't it? You know, some countries more hard hit than others could be, the citizens might be a little bit less inclined to go out and about and enjoy themselves, whereas in, in the UK, people have been champing at the bit to get out, haven't they? Yeah, and I do think it will probably vary from country to country. Um, but I think, yeah, agreeing with you, Alex, I think it is going to be a case of sport can be a, a good healer in this. It can be a good way to, I think, it can bring people joy. And we're even seeing at the moment people are still tuning into the, the classic F1 races that people that um, F1 have been putting on. Uh, they're still listening to our podcast, reading our articles. People are still so interested and want to get their F1 fixed. So I really hope that whenever we do get back racing, uh fully in that fans are allowed to come to races and it's it's in front of a, a capacity crowd i think it's it's going to be a really um important thing i think for society as a whole to to get some sporting action back i was, I was just saying do you think the danger might then be that people won't be so keen to come to sporting events in the immediacy which is when all these global sports need to make their money they need to to get things back on track as quickly as possible but that might not be quite quite so simple as as perhaps people think well there might be a lag between people um, being able to actually go and attend sporting events and being inclined to. Um, I was going to just bring up on my second screen, there was an interesting feature in The Guardian today about um, the the cluster effect, how social gatherings were rocket fuel for the coronavirus. And there's a very interesting 
uh, infographic showing various places around the world where large gatherings of, of people of strangers uh, contributed towards what they call a turbocharging of of the spread of coronavirus now um as you probably know bergamo uh, the, the bergamo area in northern italy been particularly hard hit by coronavirus um my my sister and my brother-in-law my nephew live there and um my sister and my nephew have had it what's believed to have been um they are now but they're still not going out they're they're now able to sunbathe on the balcony of their apartment because the sun's come out but my, my sister said that um she she caught it um it wasn't through a contaminated surface she went to out to a restaurant with some friends and they all went there in the same car one of them said they had a headache and a couple of weeks later they all had it so the 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 the, the, the consensus of scientific belief is that you're more likely to catch it through proximity to people than through touching something that someone else has touched, um, which sort of brings me back to the um, the business of, of sort of the, the, the ground zero for the Northern Italian outbreak, certainly in the Bergamo area. There's believed to be a Champion League, Champions League match between Atalanta, which is the local Ber- Bergamo side, and Valencia on February the 19th, which was fantastically well attended by the citizens of Bergamo because Atalanta were punching above their weight there. Uh, and that's been described as the biological bomb that set things off in that area because people dispersed having picked it up and it rode out into the the local the nearby valleys and and small villages and towns uh, where people passed it on to to their friends and family unwittingly um but before showing symptoms so when when people read about that they might be less inclined to go and attend large sporting events because axiomatically you are in proximity to strangers so would one option then because we saw after Jean Todd had spoken yesterday Ross Braun was 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 speaking to the Sky 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 vodcast saying you know his his thoughts on how F1 could get a season going the racing behind closed doors might be the best option then because that way at least you're fulfilling the the TV uh, uh, rights contracts and also you'd be getting some hosting fees from the races even if even if spectators weren't there yeah, I think that's the I think that's the only option to get things rolling again. Um, you know, I think every fan worldwide would want to see a motor race this year. If we can get, even if we get just one crammed in at some point later on this year, I think you know it would be a great celebration. Of, you know, proof all this love we have for Formula One. Um, but I think realistically, to believe that we can hold 10, 15 races all around the world with a hundred thousand people coming in and not having a problem, I think slightly naive. So I think as it starts again. You know, I think Ross is correct. It will have to be in Europe. It will have to be a place that all the teams can travel to very easily in isolation, whether they you know, drive there, whether they're flown in on charter jets. No fans, you know, maybe no paddock guests, maybe no media. Um, total you know, minimum number of people attending. But I think just getting a motor race, just getting a race on TV will be a big step forward from where we are now. Now, obviously, there are some quite intense discussions with Formula One and the teams and the FIA going on right now. Uh, do we think that's tied to why Jean Todd wanted to get his messages out there? I don't. I mean, the, the negotiations, the discussions are going on all the time. Um, Jean was clear yesterday. Every day he's speaking to Chase Carey. He's been speaking to the teams. Um, uh, I think that this was. It was kind of coincidence that he spoke today ahead of another meeting on Friday. But I think what is clear is that serious action needs to be taken. Um, there was a meeting earlier on this week where they're discussing bringing the, the budget cap down. Uh, it's currently 175 million plus exceptions. They're trying to bring it down to 150 million. Um, 
which even Jean Todd said yesterday is a, still a crazy amount for a for a motor racing team, especially in this environment. But there's resistance to that. Um, so I sensed, you know, there's there's some frustration from Jean. I think Ross mentioned this yesterday that you know we're, we're entering a new reality now. Jean talks of a new deal, a totally new approach that motor racing is going to have to have if it's going to be sustainable. Uh, and I think he wants to get this message to the teams. Things have got to change. I think there's a, an understanding from everyone right now about the, the, the very sort of, the, this is an unprecedented situation. I think there is a need for, for um, drastic action. Um, and obviously we're going to have the resistance from, I think, some of the bigger teams still, the likes of Ferrari, Mercedes, Red Bull. I mean, obviously they they have always, they've been understanding of the budget cap, but obviously they can't just go straight down like they can't plummet straight down. That's always been their argument. But uh, Mattia Bonotto, he's he did a uh, interview with Sky earlier this week, and he he said a similar thing that ultimately they can't they can't put self interest first. They have to put more than ever now. I think the interests of the sport as a whole above everything else. So I think there's yeah i think the, the the conditions are right i think for everybody to get on board and, and recognize that particularly now or never that they have to they have to make these big cuts he did sort of allude to maybe even delaying the onset of the new regulations again he said there were clear and strong reasons for the 2021 regulations that the, the new rule set to make to level the playing field for the competitors to create more overtaking improve the spectacle um, I just wondered, based on what he said, because he mentioned 2022 or or later or before or after, um, where, whether it's on his mind that maybe because of the investment that would be required um, to build the cars for those new regulations, maybe we, we might even think of delaying the onset of them even further if if money's becoming a thing. Because one of one of the other points he raised is that the car manufacturers, particularly who are involved in Formula One, have got much bigger problems to deal with than their motor racing involvement they've got huge numbers of employees who are at the moment furloughed or at risk of redundancy because of of tanking economies worldwide so their first duty is going to be to the bigger body of their employees they're going to be looking at the people who are on the factory floor uh, assembling um, you know Renault Clios or Mercedes A-classes or whatever rather than the the proportionally smaller number of staff who are occupying the the factories building Formula One cars on their behalf. I mean I guess this could have a, a wider impact on on what's going on in terms of the sort of the, the way the automotive industry was changing and you know, we saw governments around the world moving to ban the sales of traditional petrol and diesel cars and move to electric and things like that I mean there's no suggestion at the moment that this will happen but you could easily see those things taking a back foot if it means if it means preserving jobs maybe maybe the messaging will change but then at the same time as we've spoken in recent weeks the push to get the environmental message out there might be even stronger so that obviously would eventually filter down to formula one in terms of the approach that would be taken with the technology obviously i'm talking some way off now but you know this could have a a a lasting impact on the automotive world and formula one as well by extension i think a key will be where the government Government priorities lie in six months' time, 12 months' time. Um, there's obviously been huge uh, investment and spending by governments to try and keep the economies alive. Um, you know, unprecedented spending from all of them, um, you know, supporting employees and supporting companies, trying to stop people going bust. Um, I think when we come out the other end of this, you know, someone's going to have to pay. This money's got to come from somewhere. Um, so I think the priority then, governments may feel the priority is no longer you know, switching to electric cars in 2035. 
the priority could simply be, you know, making sure there are cars on the road in 2035. Yeah, James mentioned that um, in one of his questions to John Todd, didn't he? Uh, he said specifically, our governments, when they're going to try and claw back all the money they've spent through, from, from our pockets through taxes, no, no doubt, um, are they going to be interested in building electric charging points and, and fulfilling previous commitments? Was it um, in, in, in the UK, was it was it 2030 or 2035 they were talking about going all electric or, or well, trying 20, to achieve zero emissions? I can see 2035 that 2035 was the, where they were going to ban the sale of internal combustion engines. Would we see that being delayed a little bit? Because this, this realistically could take a few years to claw back uh, all, all the money that's been spent and, and lent. I mean, people are talking about some of the schemes that the Chancellor has put in in the UK as a handout, but it, it's not really, is it? It's a, it's a payday loan and uh, we, we will all be paying for it in the form of tax. Absolutely, Codders. Well, what did we take in terms of any messages of reassurance from what John said when it comes to the impact of coronavirus on motorsport? I thought there was a certain element, I think, from what everybody's saying, whether that's the FIA, F1, the teams, of sort of, you know, we need to we need to get back to business as usual. That's not, of course, that's not, you know, making light of the situation. That's not ignoring anything in terms of just getting on with plans and, and, and things coming back. Do we think, you know, how much of that is, is real? How much is that is driven from F1's point of view by the need to keep sort of share prices up and, and businesses alive and, and, and what's going on there, really? I sense, what, what I sense from Jean is that, you know, there is, a, there is a desire to get motor racing back, but... I think he sees a glimmer of hope of bringing motor racing back in a, in a better way. Um, I think, you know, the reality is the spending in Formula One, spending in a lot of categories has been so far out of kilter with what is sustainable from now on. I mean, you cannot justify spending $300 million uh, to go racing for, you know, 15 to 20 races uh, in Formula One over the next few years after, you know, what we're going through now. Um, so I think we'll see some consolidation. We'll see some cutbacks and some trimming. And it may, you know, make Formula One, you make Formula One more efficient, you bring the budgets down, you bring the staff levels down, it becomes a much healthier business for the longer term. And I think this is what, you know, the, the one positive thing that Jean has said is that, you know, crises and disasters bring bad things, but they can also deliver good things. And this is one good thing that could come out of this longer term. He used the word recalibration, didn't he? Which I, I thought was quite powerful. And again, you know, in each disaster... In each crisis, you have a lot of bad, but you have some good. So among the good um, is that um, we have the opportunity of making things better for the future. And uh, globally and mainly in Formula One, we raise some heights which for me are not reasonable. You know, and which need to address. And incidentally, I was uh, calculating uh, this morning that with what we want to impose on the teams uh, together with the Formula One group, I mean, the budget would be yeah. with the new figures between $150 million for a small yeah. team up to over 300 for a big one, which does not include the cost of the development of engine for manufacturers, which is still crazy. So can you ima imagine where we are? And still, we face resistance from some of them. So again, and so reassessment, decisions uh, to be taken, but not only on Formula One, but uh, I mean on, on Formula E, on, 
Endurance Championship and Rally Championship and Touring Car Championship and Karting. I mean, everywhere we need. So that's uh, that's what uh, you call the the New Deal. New Deal is a new situation. Absolutely. Do you think there's a certain uh, certain subtext to that in terms of the fact that traditionally, well, not traditionally, but you know, in, in recent years, the FIA in particular, uh, and also Formula One, you know, they've struggled when it comes to sort of asserting authority because Formula One has this almost not unique, but certainly bizarre in some ways governance structure where the teams have a so much say in what's going on, and you don't get that really in other sports. So, is there is there a, is there a sense that there could be a move to to get more power in terms of making decisions back towards the regulator and, and those uh, creating the championship in the first place? I don't know if it's about power. I think it's more about you know Jean's aware there's Jean's aware that this crisis is big. You know this this talk of twenty five million job losses is going to you know kill manufacturers and kill companies and kill teams. Uh, and if he doesn't act, doesn't tell the teams what he wants, doesn't push the teams to make decisions, doesn't push the teams to think more big picture you know this could the survival of f1 is at stake here um and i think you know jean has been criticized in the past for seeking consensus but when things are going fine when the sport's running along fine you know there's no need for him to step in and order things and cause trouble for the sake of it he's happy to leave it running but i think now he sees the need to do something uh there's a need to you know keep teams motivated and i thought it's quite interesting he said you know we need to get these team bosses and the people running teams motivated to still believe there is a future for motor racing because it would only take four team bosses in Formula One to suddenly decide Gene Haas and um, Claire Williams uh, suddenly decide that, oh, we don't want to be motor racing anymore. You know, the whole grid can be decimated and F1 on its knees. And I think John's comments were very, he's very acutely aware of that as well, which is, which is good to see. And it's not a, not a case of being uh, of F1 and the FIA maybe being arrogant and thinking that, um, oh, it doesn't matter if a team goes because we'll have another one. And he, he said, we have always had teams coming in and out of the sport. But it is the fact that this is such a, a unique crisis and it, it could, as Zach Brown said recently, four teams could disappear. And it, it's not unimaginable to, to think that. And then the sport is in big trouble. So I think it, it's good that Jean, the FIA and F1, they are they're aware of the situation. They're aware of the need to keep people interested, to keep the teams motivated. And I guess sort of, put these measures in place to say look this is this is what you need to do if if we're going to keep this championship going and 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 remain healthy yeah i mean the 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 main subtext that ran through all his comments was that um the people are going to change the way they look at the world as a result of um this pandemic and formula one needs to be humble he used he used that phrase an awful lot throughout the interview that we need to be humble because we're we're not essential and uh, and formula one motor racing as a whole needs to make a case for itself as we hopefully um come out of this crisis but I guess the risk is is it can't afford to be in, in certain ways because of the, the pressing need to, to keep its own economy going. It needs to have races soon. It needs to have races in 2020. There's just a, there's just a, there's always with everything in, the, in this crisis, totally understandably, there's there's two sides to it, aren't there? Yeah, but the, the, things things do change, though, don't they? I remember um, reading in Max Mosley's autobiography, um, he spoke of when he brought in the well, first in, imposed the rules uh, limiting the number of engines you could use over a race weekend and he said that I think it was Frank Williams who went to him and said um, but we've always changed our engines on on a Saturday night and 
and Max said quite rightly, just because you've always done something doesn't mean that it's actually the right thing to do. Sometimes you do need to embrace change and, and look at things differently. So I, I suppose, as, as, as Johnny mentioned earlier, this is an opportunity to, to look at things from a fresh perspective and to properly look at Formula One and motor racing's ingrained bad habits, as it were, and to actually think, well, just because we've always done such and such doesn't mean that we should. Even if that means, I don't know, talking about holding events behind closed doors, do we really need 8 million different journalists from 20,000 websites crowding around a, a driver each breathing on one another and sticking a dictaphone up their nose? You know, Do, do we really need that, uh, especially considering some of them immediately forward those um, sound files on to people who aren't even there. So it, it, it's maddening. Why not have one person holding the dictaphone and sending it to people who aren't there? You know, this, why, why have all these people travelling? And, and so, you know, we, we might have to ask these questions. I think, I think I'm right about... I'm a, mentioning no names here, of course. <laughs> there's a new normality becomes accepted very, very quickly. Uh, I remember when the Park Ferme rules came in, when teams were told you cannot change your car between... Saturday and Sunday, uh, you know, calls of outcry. I think Ron Dennis said this would be unsafe uh, for the um, for the drivers, unsafe risks, crashes, and all this sort of thing. Uh, now we fast forward to now. If you said to teams, "Well, we're going to scrap the part Fermi rules and the curfew goes, and you can work all night on a Saturday to rebuild everything," no team would accept it. So you know, these big changes happen. People don't like change. You know, I think it's something in human nature not to not to like th- things when change, but once things do change, once you accept that they have changed, that quickly becomes a new normality and you don't, can't think of seeing, it, seeing something happen any different way. Absolutely. I think we're seeing that now as well, even in our own lives, in the current lockdowns that we're facing, some people very resistant to things that are going on. Others, uh, more hopefully the, uh, the majority complying with things, particularly talking in the UK where, we're, where we live. Um, now, also, it was interesting to, to, to see at the end of that discussion there, um, uh, Jean Todd was asked if he'd considered extending his term as FIA president, but it seems he doesn't want to do that. I quite love a lot of what I do. I'm blessed to still have the passion and the energy. All what I do, for me, the kind of payback, because all what I do is as a volunteer. Uh, but uh, we change the status to limit the mon- number of mandates. And uh, I will not change, even if sometimes it's a very much request, but I will not change the, the status to do more than the three mandates I hopefully will have been able to achieve. He instrumented a change of the FIA statutes that prevents, in theory, prevents him standing for another term. Um, but as we've seen in you know some presidents, uh, current presidents around the world, having a mandate that prevents you standing doesn't stop you wanting to change that mandate so you can stand again. Um, and this, you know, I think Jean feels a, a big responsibility during this time now to do the right thing for motor racing, do the right thing for the automotive world. So you wouldn't be a surprise if he had turned around and said, you know, I want to carry on, I want to see this out, I want to see motor racing and the automotive world come out of this much, much stronger than it is now. But you know, he ruled it out. He played it down. He said he's got no interest to, to change the rules. So the end of next year will be his final year as FI president. 
I think two well-worn phrases come to mind. One is the Enoch Powell maxim that all political careers end in failure. Uh, and, and the second one is, um, as, as any entertainer will tell you, always leave your audience wanting more. And I, I think Jean Todd is... He's a very he's, he's a canny operator. He's a very smart man, and he he will have seen the example of presidents, dictators, whatever worldwide. And he he probably wants to leave under his own terms with um, a a legacy, as it were, of success behind him. He would much rather have uh, leave after eleven or twelve years as FIA president, having achieved an awful lot. And with people begging him to stay, than in as his predecessor found out to be clinging on to power, even as people are desperately machinating behind your back to get rid of you because they they're sick of the sight of you. He would much rather be remembered as as a president who did good and stepped away when the time was right, rather than someone who was dragged kicking and screaming from office. And I think how he oversees this crisis and its its impact on motorsport, I think that is going to define a lot of how he is remembered as a president as well. He's always been a president that's been very aware of the sort of social issues uh, outside of motorsport. Obviously, the FIA road safety campaign that has been one of the, the big beacons of his presidency. So I think to have this another issue that it does sort of transcend that motorsport barrier it's something very worldwide it's a very uh, social issue it affects all of society not just motorsport i think that will be it'll be interesting to see how he, he handles this and oversees this um but i think this this sort of battle cry that he's put out early on here he's made very clear that that there does need to be big changes within motorsport within formula one i think that's a that's a good um, first step to see Absolutely. Now, we obviously need to be very careful to make sure that everybody is uh, still having able to have a laugh and have a good time. And Codders, I just thought I'd uh, I'd point out that you don't seem to have taken that note about leaving people wanting more whenever it comes to your office <laughs> jokes. What? Do you I know, know that was, it, it was almost an unfounded attack, but it was absolutely right. You do you do tend to recycle your material. <laughs> well, hopefully I'll have some new material um, having sat in this room for you got, you got how many times got plenty of time to write. This is a <laughs> shocking accusation. And um, we, uh, yeah, as you well know, you were, you were part of this discussion on, was it was it last week? We had our, our, our Autosport team virtual meetup and it was me who tumbleweeded Matt Q when he was coming up with terrible jokes. So I, I was trying to be the voice of reading here but back to back to jean todd's words uh, after that after that outrageous uh, attack from from me this is an unfounded ad hominem and now you try and drag it back to the main subject how dare you i know, I, I felt i felt guilty i felt guilty um but there we go um obviously a big uh, a big talking point towards the end of that interview came when you uh, john you you mentioned the uh that one of the one of the big pre-season talking points which was the ferrari engine settlement with the fia uh some interesting comments there from from jean todd saying that uh, you know he would he would love to tell you what's gone on uh, and what that what what was going on with ferrari and what the sort of settlement was but uh ferrari not letting him do that uh what did we what did we make of that and what did we learn about that yes yeah, the first time jean's spoken in public um, about the controversy obviously erupted the final minutes of pre-season testing when the FI announced this private arrangement between themselves and Ferrari over what may or may not have happened with the Ferrari engine last year. Um, obviously angered a lot of teams. There were letters going backwards and forwards and threats of legal action. So Jean, just explain the process. We ran very, very complex verifications to try to understand the problem. And then we end up after the championship, and, and, and again, 
uh, we we make a control on nuclear scar in Abu Dhabi, and uh, the stewards decided that uh, it was a human mistake, uh, and they import a fine. And again, we could say, okay, it's fine. We still pushed a lot to have a full understanding of the, of the situation. And I must say, most of the top teams were saying, we want to understand, but they said the most important things is that whatever is understood, the situation will be clear for 2020. The difficulty for him was primarily that there was no no point could the FI prove Ferrari had broken the regulations. Um, and if Ferrari didn't accept, they had. Ferrari were adamant that they remained fully in line with the rules. Then there was nothing the FI could do. Um, he didn't want it to drag into a court case that could last you know, two, three years with no guarantee of an outcome. Felt that would be too damaging. Um, so elected for an, for an arrangement. But one interesting thing Jean did say yesterday was that Ferrari had been sanctioned for, for what happened. Um, which obviously means there was no complete innocence from um, Ferrari's side of things. Um, obviously, the suspicions had some grounds but about what they were or were not doing. But according to the FI statutes and the, the route that Jean took um, for this arrangement, he cannot release any details of what Ferrari were doing, cannot release any details of what the Ferrari sanction was without Ferrari's approval. And so far, Ferrari don't want that out there. And, and why is that? Is that because they just don't want to re- release the technical side of what they were doing or just because they they think that they, they would be interpreted as they were completely uh, in the wrong i would have thought primarily um from a technical ip point of view if you found something clever um with your engine you know you're, you're an f1 team you're every f1 team is totally paranoid about their technical developments the avenues they're going um you know the secrecy they go to when they release these tiny little flick ups on the front wings or elements of suspension so there'd be no you know no other team would release the details or a detailed explanation of what they're up to because um, it could offer their rivals a, you know, an avenue or an understanding of something new that helps them. So, you know, it's fully understandable why Ferrari don't want out there. Um, and I guess, you know, you wouldn't want any details of your sanction because it would add fuel to the fire that, you know, maybe everything wasn't all right last year. Um, so I'll just be left with this, you know, ongoing uncertainty really about what really did or didn't happen last year. And where do we think this fits in with the with the current climate and and things changing so rapidly and the and the world being very different afterwards? Because it sort of it runs that line between people, you know, wondering, oh, well, what does it matter? But also people wanting to be interested in what has gone before and the sort of political and traditional human stories and competition that goes with Formula One. So where do we think it sits in the current narrative? Well, I thought it was quite interesting in Australia. Um, you know, although we didn't see a single wheel get turned in anger there, there was a lot of behind the scenes political things going on there and one thing that did emerge from this the team meeting that took place on the uh, Thursday night that eventually resulted in you know the teams withdrawing from the race um, was that Toto Wolff informed the other outfits that Mercedes were stepping back from their involvement in this group of seven um, who were unhappy with the FIA over what happened um, whether that was a result of um, something that his boss had decided. There were rumours that you know there'd been a conversation between Ole Kalinius and John Elkin about the matter. But I think one of the messages was that there are bigger things to worry about in the world right now that we don't need damaging, um, you know, court cases and damaging rows between big car manufacturers, um, especially with the 2020 regulations having changed to outlaw anything that Ferrari may or may not have been doing 
so I think things, you know, the mood and appetite for confrontation has changed a bit, um, which might be interesting also, therefore, to what happens with the, the Racing Point pink Mercedes and whether Renault is still unhappy with it and whether Red Bull is still unhappy with DAS, you know, once or if racing resumes again this year. It's interesting, isn't it, how um, Mercedes so often now, they, they're, they're the voice of reason, as it were. Very often it's Mercedes that show leadership among the teams in terms of stepping back from confrontation or damping confrontation down rather than adding fuel to the fire. Indeed, it was interesting. There were some comments from Cyril Beatball, and they're not about about uh, uh, Racing Point and things that are going on there. So obviously, at the moment, the fires uh, the fires are still burning on that particular issue. Oh, Cyril's always got a fire burning somewhere, hasn't he? Usually, at a very fast rate of verbal knots. Some consensus, some willing to give ground when it comes to the the whole coronavirus pandemic picture in terms of uh, in terms of Formula One's rules and, and and keeping things going. So Mercedes have already agreed that DAS will be outlawed next year, even when the the, the current car or the current car that it was built for will still be going. In essence, uh, Ferrari as well, you know, they've agreed to that rule when they know they've they've almost got a baked in disadvantage. It seems from everything that we saw in testing and everything that they said in testing. So ground is being given already uh, yeah but I, th- I asked you on this question i said you know uh, uh, is one of the positives from this that teams are giving more ground now than they have in the past when they've stood very firm on anything that could hurt them competitively and he, his answer was simple yes but it's not enough so i think he sees that you know especially this cost cost issue um i think there is a concern that you know a small team trying to aim for a budget of 150 million dollars isn't going to happen, basically. I mean, I think all what we are proposing now is going in the right direction. I'm sure you you know you know you know very well on the I mean on the expenditure on the mainly today we need to we need to address costs. We need to address the discrepancy between small, medium, and big. We need to be reasonable, and uh, including engine. And I think there is the sort of yeah this this wider. Acknowledgement and I think recognition from from the teams that yeah we've we've just got to get back racing when we can really and when it's safe to and that ultimately Formula One as a whole I think it it's gonna it's gonna come out of this very different to how it entered and I think that it's gonna be yeah these these sort of big political issues that obviously again the Australia weekend that Ferrari engine issue that would have been the absolute dominant talking point had it not been for the race being cancelled the coronavirus um uh, concerns and I think the these sort of issues they are they are going to be going by the wayside a little bit and it's going to be very interesting to see that whenever we do get back racing how how they've kind of gestated and maybe do we have teams still still very much banging the drum, still on their high horse about it? Or are they kind of like, you know what, that was many months ago. It's just good to be back racing and, and to get some normality now, and now back again. Guys, I think we'll leave it there for this morning. Thank you very much for joining me. Uh, Codders, I presume I've uh, lost any chance of ever coming on your Flat Chat podcast with my comments about your material. Shocking. And there'll be no further virtual guided tours of the Lord Heseltine Memorial Theatre or any other parts of the house. That is particularly disappointing. We all, we all got a, a good glimpse there, the whole autosport team, into how your how your your house is laid out. Although I do hope we were we would still be uh, still be showing uh, n- nice pictures of your cats, which are particularly good morale boosters. I find yes, and they they don't generally like posing for pictures because they know they're going to end up on the internet. But they're open to bribery. It's a commercial transaction, and we've got plenty of licky licks and uh, various other cat treats in the house. <laughs>
Well, that's very good to hear. That's very good to hear. Well, guys, thank you very much for for, for joining us on this episode of the Autosport Podcast. And thank you uh, for listening. Do check out autosport.com and motorsport.com for all our latest stories, features, insight. We'll have all the news from all the uh, all the serious meetings going on with Formula One and the FIA and the teams. Check out Autosport Plus and motorsport.com Prime and all our uh, social media channels. And as I said earlier, as I said at the very start, you might even be seeing these podcasts recorded on video. So uh, we'll all have to get our cameras uh, positioned correctly are particularly in my case my hair looking neat and we'll see what happens there in the future so thanks again for listening and thank you to our producer martin lee for editing this episode Music is 6am by Trilo, written by Marcus Simmons. See soundcloud.com slash Trilo Music. redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18+. plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. The world is waiting, waiting for new thinking, for bold ideas that embrace a globally connected community, working together to create a better future for all. And that future, it can be found here at UC Riverside. Bold hearts, brilliant minds. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.